The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. hope you're doing well this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them and uh, would you open with me to Psalm 93? Uh, Each summer at Stone Oak, what we we love to do is spend some time in the Psalms together. Uh, It's such a refreshing time uh, for us and we have a great one this morning. But as we think about the Psalms, we say this a lot, but We see so much humanity in the Psalms, Uh, the ups and downs of life, the the joy, the fear, the um, triumph, struggle, peace, disaster, anger, praise, lament. It is all there. Uh, The Psalms, we see it all. It's deeply, just deeply human. But as we approach our Psalm, Psalm 93 this morning, um, Psalm 93 is not like that. It's, uh, it's not one of, those, one of those psalms. And in fact, Psalm 93 is one of the most uh, theocentric psalms you'll ever see. And, and what I mean by that is in this psalm, you won't see one imperative. Not one do this, not one do that, not, uh, not one command for us, not one. What you will see, though, what this psalm does do is focuses our eyes upward. Drives us to look up. It reveals clearly who our God is. Now, will we have a response to that? Sure, we will. Will, the, where, will we have a human response to that? Absolutely. Um, but this psalm, this sermon, I'll put it like this. I had a preaching professor who would, um, who would tell me, he would call this a come and behold him sermon. And what he would tell me is he, in seminary, he would always warn his students against trying to turn all sermons into manward sermons, where, you know, do this, don't do this. Now, some texts that we get to in Scripture are definitely going to call us to do that, and he would always say, when a text does that, then preach it with boldness. Do it. But he would also remind us that every once in a while, you would get the joy as a preacher of coming to a text that he called a simply come and behold him text. And he said, and when the Lord gives you that joy, he said, approach it and preach it boldly and enjoy every single minute of it. It stuck with me. And uh, we stand here, church, at the, the front door of a come and behold him text. So I want to encourage us, let's enjoy every single minute of it. Um, what I'd like to do, I want to read it all. And then after I read it, I'd love for us to just stop, pause, pray before we dig in. So let me read this. This is our psalm this morning, Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. 
Your throne is established from of old, and you are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us see this morning? We are finite creation, and we are gazing up this morning at our infinite creator, We need you. Would you help us to see you this morning? Would you help us to come and behold our Lord, our God, our King? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, here in America, uh, we don't have a king. Here in America, we are uh, not a monarchy. And because of this, we don't often think in terms of kingship, kingdoms, um, sovereign decrees, the majesty that comes with king, right? We don't think this way. In fact, most of our experiences with kingship, if we're honest, um, comes probably from the Disney Channel (laughs) or um, uh, maybe keeping up with the royals. Maybe that a little bit, or um, reading history, but that's it. I mean, we are, as Americans, we are a people, for the people, by the people, kind of people, if that makes sense. That's who we are. Uh, We're a democracy. We vote on things. We protest against things. We even protest against our government, and our government protects our rights to do that. That's incredible. In fact, if you see any protest, you'll see policemen standing in front of the protesters And they're not there to stop them. They're there to protect them often. I mean, this is what we're used to, and I'm grateful for this. Um, But this is not what life in a kingdom uh, looks like under a sovereign, authoritative king. Um, So in light of that, I, I need to say something that I think we all need to hear as Americans, as American followers of Jesus. Um, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. <laughs> I didn't expect to get that many amens to that. I like that. <laughs> the kingdom of God has a king. There's no elections in our kingdom. Um, there is only one sovereign and eternal king. Now, on a human level, don't hear me wrong. I love me some democracy. Um, it's a great system of government that has a wonderful check and balance to our wickedness. I love that. I absolutely do. Uh, Lord Acton is quoted as saying, power tends to corrupt, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And uh, democracy, it does provide some checks and balances to kind of curb that wickedness. Um, in other words, I do believe that, you know, democracy is a wonderful form of government for us sinful, fallen human beings. I, I do. Democracy really exists because we are sinners. But the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is not like that at all because our king is not a sinner. He is perfect. He's holy. He's just. He's strong. He's powerful. And Psalm 93 calls us to see this, calls us, causes us to kind of shift our mindset a little bit 
So I want to encourage us as we walk through this to come and behold our king. It says, verse 1, the Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. It means there is only one. There has only ever been one. There will only ever be one universal king reigning over all nations, all people, all governments. There is only one. He is our God. Now, in your Bibles, you should... Chances are that the word LORD here is in all caps. I think that's kind of universal. So chances are your Bible, it'll have it in all caps. Anytime that you see the word LORD in your Bibles written in all caps, you're going to see it five times in our short psalm. What that tells us is that is the name Yahweh. That is the divine name of our God. That is the name that the Old Testament scribes would not dare to write or to speak. Instead, they would say Jehovah. When you see L-O-R-D, all caps, that is the divine name. That is God's name, Yahweh. That is our word here. This is the name. The Lord Yahweh is our true king. Our God is king. He reigns. And it says he's robed in majesty. Now, I will confess that, that this is one of those words that easily slips into Christian jargon that doesn't mean anything to me category. In fact, uh, I grew up, confession here, singing this word majesty a lot. I can think of like 18 songs right now all cheesier than the one that came before. I love them, though. But I grew up with this, singing majesty, right? And, and I'll confess, I have no idea. I had no idea what I was singing. Like, none. But here we have robed in majesty. So the truth is, I have very little context for robes outside of bathrobes, and I have an even smaller context for majesty. But here our God is robed in majesty. So because we Americans don't live in a monarchy, I thought it might be beneficial to hear what some of our brothers and sisters from across the pond say about this. So the Church of England interprets this verse. Let me read this to you. The Lord is king, and he has put on his glorious apparel. That's kind of fun. That is, in other words, as we think of Psalm 93, it begins with this proclamation, God, our God, Yahweh, he is king, and he puts on all of the power, all of the splendor of being king. He is king, and he looks like it. He looks like it. So to help us grasp this, have you ever been made speechless by something? Um, something so big and beautiful and powerful that have you ever been just kind of awestruck where you're silent? You just don't even know how to like speak about this, right? Um, something that you know that if you were to take out your phone and you were to snap a picture, you'd look at it and go, nope, that failed. That doesn't even come close. Or something you know that when you walk out and you try to de- describe it to someone, you couldn't. Have you ever had an experience that was just a bit beyond description? If so, that is a small glimpse, a small glimpse of what the glory, the splendor, the majesty of our king is like. He reigns, he's robed in majesty. He puts on splendor like a bathrobe. 
awe-inspiring, speechless majesty and glory. Beyond that, he is robed, he has put on strength as his belt. I don't know if you've ever heard of something that's all flash, no substance, or all bark, no bite, or um, all sizzle, no steak, right? Our God's not like that. Because our God here is God, looks like God, and is all-powerful. He, he's not only king, he looks like it, and not only does he look like it, he has the power to back it up. He is completely and fully able to do everything he has proposed to do. The Lord reigns, he's robed in majesty, and he's put on strength as his belt. And then listen to this. The, Lord is, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are everlasting. Consider the power here. Yahweh, our Lord, he is king. He rules over all. He's clothed in all inspiring, the kind that leaves you speechless and breathless without the ability to describe kind of splendor. Then he's perfect in strength and power, meaning he's going to do and able to do everything that he proposes to do. And he's not contingent on anyone or anything to do it. He is our God. And this God, our king, establishes the world and it shall never be moved. Because our king is eternal, there is never a time that he is not sovereign king. Before every kingdom he was, before every movement he was, there has never been a time and there will never be a time when our sovereign king is not sovereignly reigning over all creation. Now, in a world that is constantly changing, this is really good news. Um, philosophies, they come and they go. Um, revolutions, they come and they go. Hot button issues that are hot today will come and they will go. Even nations will come and they will go. But our God, our God is constant. He does not change. He stands. In a changing world, our God doesn't change. In a very real sense, um, I heard it this week and I love it. Everything is constantly changing, yet at the same time, nothing is different. That's good. That's a good one. See, in Ecclesiastes, it says everything under the sun. There's a season. It changes. Everything under the sun changes, right? But at the same time, what does Ecclesiastes say? There's nothing new under the sun. Everything's changing, yet nothing, nothing is different. Because our God was, is, will always be sovereign king. And, and I want you to hear this as we look at verses 3 and 4. In light of that truth, the floods have lifted up. Many of us know what that feels like. Lifted up their voice, lifted up their roaring, but verse four, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Have you ever stood in rushing water or tried to stand in rushing water? Water is deceptively powerful, isn't it? it just, um, we go to the Guadalupe River, which those little currents, right? It's, right? Um, even those, if you're not careful, will straight up pick you up and take you away. 
it looks like a peaceful little river, and all of a sudden you're, right? Water is deceptively powerful. Now, if we're not careful, multiply that out and think of a rushing water, loud. I mean, it has the ability to pick up cars, sweep away houses and buildings. And not only is it powerful, but if you've ever experienced it, it is loud. You can't even hear yourself talk or think, let alone talk. Rushing water is loud. The psalmist describes it as roaring. And that's a good description. Water is powerful, strong, and loud. And the floods are powerful, strong, mighty, and they are loud. And as, I, as we think about the kingdom of God here on earth, we have to face the fact here that here on this earth, we have to acknowledge that it is no new thing for the people of God for the kingdom of God, for the word of God to face mighty and loud opposition. It is no new thing for the kingdom of God to face many floods that are mighty and that are loud. And in the face of these mighty and loud floods, verse four says it beautifully, mightier is our God. Louder is our God. Our Lord is high, on high is mighty. In other words, the floods may be mighty, they may be loud, but our God is stronger, mightier, and our God's voice is louder, and our, his kingdom will stand through the flood. I want to read to you something that comes from a commentator that I read this week, and I love this. Um, it says, it is no new thing for God's church and people to have enemies, numerous as they are violent. It has been so ever since the days of Cain. Mightily have evil men combined against God's cause. Terribly did Roman emperors and governors rage against Christ and his people. Christians, no strange thing happens to you when the wicked bend their bow against you. And then listen to this. Because the kingdom of Christ is divine, it has withstood all of the shocks and it shall continue to survive all of the assaults made upon it. As we consider our lives here today, and as we kind of fast forward from the the time of this psalm up through the time of the Romans to our very lives today at this present moment, the church of God, the people, the cause of God, the mission of God, the word of God will stand through each and every assault and flood that comes its way. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail. Why and how could he say that? How? Because, church, our God reigns. Our God reigns. He is mightier. He is stronger. He is eternal. And the church will stand and will endure because our king reigns. That's why we stand As we think about this, um, I want us to know the assaults against the kingdom of God are just as prevalent today as they have ever been. Now, in certain parts of our world, this is violent persecution, imprisonment even. In certain parts of our world, it is illegal to follow Jesus, and in many parts of our world, to follow Jesus is to put your life in danger or to put the lives of those you love in danger. 
And I find it mind-blowing, honestly, that it's often in communities like these that the gospel seems to spread like an uncontrolled wildfire. If you study church history, when the church is persecuted, you're just fanning a flame. We've seen this all throughout history. Um, In fact, it was in communities just like this that fanned the flame of the New Testament church to go everywhere. Uh, This is the way... God works. Now, hmm, I wasn't going to quote a rapper this morning because I'm not cool enough to do this. I haven't earned the right to quote a rapper, but I'm going to anyway. In the words of the rapper theologian, Trip Lee, what they going to (laughs) do? Don't laugh at me. You try to come up here and do it better. (laughs) What they going to do? What murder us? What murder does is send a surge of us to go put churches up. That's good. That'll preach. That'll preach. Um, And that's exactly what we're seeing in many parts of the world. That right there. But that's not what you and I are facing. Most of us. Um, What we're facing, though, is just as deadly, perhaps even more so in some contexts, because in parts of the globe where persecution is prevalent, there's this attempt made to extinguish Christianity and to silence the gospel. But here it's different. Here there is an attempt being made, but it's not necessarily to outright extinguish Christianity, but to change it, to make it better fit to make it better fit into the ideas of our day. It's not necessarily to silence the gospel, it's to modify it, to distort it, to compromise the truth of God with a version of the truth that fits maybe a little more naturally into the ideas of our culture until what we're left with is just a shell of what once was. Until what we're left with is empty church buildings as a token of what used to be. Until what we are left with is a church trying to go reach our communities with the gospel and we have nothing to reach them with anymore. There is an attack being made. There are mighty floods. In fact, the way I thought about this this week is in those parts of the world that are facing very real persecution, it's like the floods they face is like a tsunami wave. Where you see that thing, you hear that thing, it is coming. Whereas here, I tend to think our floods as the ones that start here and just kind of rise up slowly inch by inch, inch by inch, inch by inch destruction. Both are destructive, both are mighty, both are incredibly dangerous, but... In every flood, verse 4 says, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty, and the kingdom of God will stand, and our kingdom will endure, because our God is mightier, our king is mightier, our king is, is stronger. We have so much to stand, and because of that, man, what confidence we should have being members of this kingdom. Submitted to that. Verse 5, your decrees are very trustworthy. (laughs) The psalmist here is talking about the word of God. He's talking about the word of our king. Eternal and timeless, trustworthy and true. Notice with me, though, that the psalmist could have said, your decrees are trustworthy. That would have made sense. 
I would have been perfectly clear, perfectly fine, but he didn't say that. What did he say? He said, your decrees are very trustworthy. He puts this adverb here, this very exceedingly, abundantly, intensely, greatly trustworthy. So it's not that they're merely trustworthy. It's not that your word is merely trustworthy or a little trustworthy. It is exceedingly, abundantly, um, very trustworthy. And the psalmist concludes, holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Holiness, meaning set apart, different, distinct, consecrated, pure. That's what it means to be a part of our king's house. In Leviticus and in First Peter, it says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Kingdom of God is marked by holiness. Because our God is holy, we should be holy. Because our king is holy, then we should be holy. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a moment and just kind of consider all of this together. Our God, Yahweh, he is king and he reigns. All-inspiring, perfect and good, power, splendor. And in a changing world, he is unchanging, eternal and eternally true. He is mightier than the floods of this life, and his kingdom will stand forever because he is eternal, and he is eternally in control, eternally sovereign. He has given us his word, and it is perfect, timeless, true, exceedingly trustworthy. He is holy, perfectly, completely holy. Now, at the beginning, I said this was a come and behold him kind of text, kind of sermon Church, that's your king. That's your God. Now, as we've come and beheld him, I want us to do something. I'd like for us now to consider ourselves in light of our eternal king. To consider yourself in light of your eternal king. I I think one of the greatest temptations that we face ever since the garden in Genesis 3 is to question the sovereign rule and reign of our God and to think, I think I know better. To think we know better, to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Um, So when we talk about our God and his rule and his reign, I think it's important for us to start with a simple understanding, profound. Here it is. He is king and you are not. Let that sink. Let that settle. Um, We sometimes think that we are sovereign rulers over our life and and we are, are not. We sometimes think that we're the center of the story and we, you, are not. So I want to do something. I want to read Psalm 93 again. This time I want to read it in light of ourselves. All right? And I'm not going to pick on you. I'm going to not use the pronoun you. I'm going to use the pronoun I. All right? You do the same though. All right? So verse 1 says, the Lord reigns. I do not. He is robed in majesty and I am not. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. And I know I am weak, full of doubt and fear so often. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Yet I know me, and I am flaky. I am often moved, I am often tossed, I am often shifted, changing my mind. 
Your throne is established of old, and you are ever from everlasting, yet I am not. I am here on this earth as but a blip on the radar of history. The floods, they've lifted up, lifted their voice, lifted their roaring, yet mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty, yet I am not. I am tossed. I'm often scared, full of fear, swept up the waves and the floods that I so desperately want to avoid. Your decrees are very trustworthy, (laughs) yet my words, they come and go. I'm often flaky, but trustworthy, I know me. Holiness befits your house. Yet so often I chase after the world to look just like it, and so often I am I set down holiness for pursuit of pleasure. Church, in light of that, in light of myself, in light, as I consider myself in light of my king, I realize something profound, and that is I have no claim to this throne. I have no claim to that throne. He is king and I am not. As we consider Psalm 93, our response, our, your response, it has to be humility. We don't puff our chest. We don't pump our fists. We bend our knee. This is submission. I, I, I want us to think about something. Um, one of the most profound examples of this is actually Job. And if you remember the story of Job, um, it's a story of tragedy, really. Job loses everything. He faces trials that are just unimaginable. In the bulk of the book of Job, Job and his friends are sitting together, kind of weeping over this and trying to make sense of it. And um, it's at this point where Job he cries out to God, where were you? Where were you, right? Where were you when all this happened, when the bottom fell out, when tragedy hit? Where were you? But then something incredible happens in this book. In the book of Job, God then responds, and oh, does he respond. Verse 38, or uh, chapter 38 God answers Job out of a whirlwind. That's kind of cool. So out of a raging tornado, right? And he says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. In other words, Job, it is my turn to ask some questions. Job, you have asked, where were you? Now God is going to turn that question on its head. And God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Surely you know, Job. Where were you? Church, for four complete chapters, 126 verses, God continues this line of questioning. Mm. The king responds. 
Here's what I want us to see after, after that response. Here's what Job did. Take this in. Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you. You make it known to me. No, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself, repent in dust and ashes. The reason I wanted to share this story, church, because in so many ways, as we consider ourselves in light of our king, as we consider ourselves in light of Psalm 93, you know what we're left with? We're left with the Job response. Job saying, I see you, my God. And I know you can do all things and no purpose of yours will ever be thwarted. I see you, my God. And I often talk about things that I don't understand, things too wonderful for me, things I don't know. And now, now that I see you, now that I see your word, now that I see my king, I now despise myself for having done that and I confess and repent. I despise myself for trying to sit on your throne. I despise and confess and repent from trying to steal the authority that belongs to you. You are king and I am not. In light of our king, we are to have a Job response. But I don't want it to end here. It can't in here because there's one more very important thing that we need to see. If we were left here, I mean, church, who would stand? Who would ever be worthy? When we encounter our king, we can do nothing but confess our sin and proclaim he is holy. But here's one of the most incredible things about our gospel. If you hear nothing else this morning, Let's come to this. Your God did not leave you there. Your king came down. Jesus, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign, king over all kings, came down. And let me read to you about your king this morning. I, you don't need to turn with me here. I just want you to, I encourage you to listen and take this in, what the gospel of John tells you you about your king. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, church, he is eternal, all-powerful, creator, sustainer. That's who we're talking about. In him was life, and the light, life was the light of men. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He who was in the world and or he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, listen to this. He gave, our king gave the right to become children of God. In other words, your king came down to give you the right to be his people, to be part of his kingdom who were born not of blood nor of will of the flesh, but the will of God. 
and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our king came down. And in light of our God, our king, we like Job, now we respond in humility. Now we, knowing our God is sovereign and I am not, knowing our God reigns and I do not, knowing our God is in control and I am not, and at the same time, Knowing that our God, our King, came down for us, we are his, and we can trust him. As our psalm tells us, you and I, we are not king. You and I, we are not mightier than those floods, but he is, and he loves you. 